0: 1-8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole judean countryside and all the people of jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan river john wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message after me comes the one more powerful than i the straps of whose sandals i am not worthy to stoop down and untie I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord.
1: Oh, God. Kids are invited to uh, kids' time with Shelby today. Tina. Oh. Yes. <laughs> a in operation. This is a short aside for his sermon. Um, or, um, if you know me, it's like no surprise. Um, the, uh, today is, is Saint Nick's Day, who is, in some sense is the inspiration for our Saint Nick we <laughs> celebrate Christmas with. And I forgot to put it out, but there's this great picture of an icon, so Saint Nick. You can picture an icon of Saint Nick. He lived around the 400s, um, and he uh uh, and underneath it, somebody has typed, um, "I'm here to give away presents to kids secretly and punch <laughs> heretics, and I'm all out of presents." Um, <laughs> and uh, and, and Saint Nick didn't just give away presents to children; he dropped off um, dowries, three of them, to to rescue women from um, the sex trade uh, at the time, prostitution at the time. Uh, that's the legend, um, but for the reason why this is an aside, and I'm not just telling it because it's funny. Although, give out presents and all on heritage and all of presents is quite funny in my opinion, especially superimposed over an icon. Is that if you're looking for a way to um, help kids or grandchildren grasp the meaning of the season away from all the hoopla, Saint Nick's Day is a great day to either um, give a present, uh, rescue your children from. From Dowry, if you might want to sell them, as sometimes we do. Um, but uh, And then to remind them of, of that this character, who in some sense this other character is based off of, was one who um, was a staunch defender of the faith and a, and a, a Christian himself and in the stories of his time. Kelly, and I can put it in the email this week Kelly just bought a kid's storybook sort of based on him. And I think it's a great way for us to reclaim some of what the season means. Uh, to have time for that. Uh, St. So Nick, I believe, was involved in the in the conflict at Nicaea, which which is where the punching heretics line comes from. And during Advent we are confessing the Nicene Creed together. So that that adds another another level to it too. Say the Nica Nicaea Creed and after you're done, you're a punch bunch of heretic. Um, that I thought was funny too, but that one did not land. but, um, but and so that sort of the, we live in the season of Prepare. That's what sort of the readings resonate for us today. Is that we are to prepare from from John the Baptist preparing the way in the wilderness, from Isaiah prepare. Um, the uh, the Psalmist uh, talked about how we would be ready for this one in this day. And then Second Peter, what what Matthew read is this great thing: is that we are to be holy and blameless for that day that is approaching. That that all these sort of things have this notion of prepare related to. And that one last week it was it was watch we were to keep watch and this is sort of the images is, is that I said we were to keep watch for the manger um, we were to be like Jews during this time and await um, put ourselves in the position where we are awaiting um, Jesus' incarnation Emmanuel God with us in its first sense and this is the way in which we live into this story we actually believe, um, so like in Lent when we walk with Jesus towards the cross. Um, we try to, to hold ourselves in that place so that the joy of the Easter brightness can shine all the brighter. It's like, I use this analogy not, but it's like watching a movie. Um, you know, you, you watch the whole movie to cherish the parts where the good things happen. Whereas if you just said, you know, I really like the end of Cinderella, let's just watch the end. In some sense, you would miss the journey to get there. And so that's sort of what we do when we enact these seasons. Most, most uh, explicitly, at defines church and Advent and Lent are the two seasons where sort of those build up the most. So we put ourselves in this position of darkness. And, and what the reading said for us today, exile, awaiting that God will, will redeem us. And the second way we, we sort of look at it is towards the return of this one, who in that beautiful image from the psalm today, the read for us, that justice and righteousness and peace shall kiss when that happens. That there's this return in which we're waiting to, in which God orders the world again. That, that rightness comes into being. That God's love and peace will reign there. And so we sort of look and keep watch in both ways. And so this is the image from last week of, of being in a cell. When we are in a cell, this was Bonhoeffer's image. We know that help can only come from the outside. And one of the things that I think is true about the world we live in is that the cell that we lived in, uh, I forget who pointed it out today, but it's in so many teachings, um, swings between pleasure and violence, it seems like, in our world. That you can hype up sort of means of pleasure and you can hype up sort of means of destructiveness. Malcolm Muckridge, a uh, brilliant British man who became Christian late in his life said that we swing between Hitler and Hugh Hefner uh, as a society, and, and that those two things are sort of the poles in which we're wrapped too. Is that we? Uh, there's a much longer quote that I wish I'd written down, um, but but that that's and so when we're in this time in the cell, as we prepare, as we waited and watched. Last week was the word. As we prepare this week. The coming of this one, what often we do, and as we do with the holiday season, is prepare for pleasure. Most likely, um, there is that coal analogy uh, with Saint Nick uh, of uh, we prepare for destruction as well. I guess this coal is, is, is cold as for fire, um, but those two analogies sort of make room for the place in the cell. But what? Um, John calls us to, and what these readings call us to in preparing, is not to decorate ourselves in that way. 2 Peter said for us is that God isn't slow, God is patient. And that patience is so that all might be saved. That we have this time to wait and to prepare in that way. What 2 Peter said for us is that we are to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. That's what we do waiting this arrival. And this arrival in 2 Peter's language is cosmic. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Then everything will shape You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to this day, as you hasten its coming, as it, as it often says in the in King James is that we hasten it's a day we look forward to. Right? I, I, sometimes I think about what, what can set the church apart at times. And one of the things that often comes to me is, at least from where I preach and teach, so often we talk about the second coming. Um, and not in a left behind, uh, I had a professor who called the left behind series Theological Pornography. Um, uh, not in a left behind or like in a discern the time sort of way, but that we know that our true hope rests in not being busy in the present, of not trying to make things um, perfect here. We know that our true hope rests in that God is going to come again. And without that truth, in the language of 2 Peter, as people are starting to forget this. And it happens again in, in uh, Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians, where they almost kind of want to say, well, it's already happened. So let us live if we're on that day. in that hope is where we really reside. And so this teaching for us is that we are to await that day. We are to hasten and to look forward to that day. And speed its coming that God will come amongst us. We are to prepare. But one of the things with our holiday gatherings, we prepare in a way that it will be perfect so that it will then not be perfect. And then we have to clean up again after that. <laughs> And so the spread is made, the table looks perfect. Uh, Kelly got into tablescaping one year. Um, with young kids, I think that was gone for another 10 years. But where you landscape your table to look very nice and stuff like that. And then when the guests come, it all gets messed up and used. And it's joyous good time, but it is not. Uh, and then it ends, and you have to clean it all up, and make it all up. But the preparing we do in advent is for the one who's actually going to set it all around and set the feast before us. The one who's going to bring with him the glad tidings and the goodness and the and the rightness of the world. And so it's not as if we're preparing for a Christmas party where when the guest of honor comes, it's time for us. Uh, one of the things I think we're free from in this preparing is Jesus is coming. Look busy, um, which I think is. A good parable for the modern Christian life that isn't good. <laughs> look, Jesus is coming, look busy, clean up something. Um, when instead what we are invited into in this preparing is that time when fullness will come. The goodness and righteousness, the kiss, and peace and love will be. But this is that one more waiting. And so uh, I'll end with some thoughts on order. Um, But one of the things that I want to say is how much I love the beginning of of Mark's gospel. He's come to proclaim an evangelium, a gospel, to these people. And gospel is is this amazing word that captures so much. Uh, uh, We have gospel music today, and I know some of you are a fan. But if somebody says we're going to play some gospel music, I am not... as excited as others are. The gospel becomes a, a modifier in the world that sometimes doesn't always bring out what Evangelion would mean for us. And Mark is announcing this as if it's the um, declaration of a new age. Another way that Evangelion functioned in the, in the ancient world was that it was good news from a battlefield. They put on some gospel music, it better be some good news from a battlefield in which God has invaded earth again. Um, uh, And so this is the way Chet Myers on the back of the bulletin talks about the opening scenes of Mark's gospel. The opening scenes of the gospel of Mark remind me of minimalist theater, collapsing a world of meaning into a few concentrated images. Punctuated by divine voices offstage and human cries at center stage, the prologue narrates the story of an invasion, throwing existence as usual into sharp relief. Prophetic muses, long silence, suddenly sing again. Messengers announce, and in turn heralds the advent at long last, of one strong enough to wrestle the world away from the death grip of the powers. This leader appears on the horizon of history and in dramatic symbolic action declares himself an outlaw. This immediately provokes a challenge from the prince of the powers himself, who takes the leader deep into the wilderness where he disappears in this prologue. It disappears. In this prologue, Mark wields a a synth of apocalyptic symbols, clearing narrative space away from among the weeds, so that the seeds of a radically new order, to borrow the author's own metaphor, might be pressed into the weary soil of the world. This subversive story is what Mark entitles Good News. Now, let's play some gospel music. It's the story of this new age, of this new time, of this announcement of things are going to be radically different. This is what Mark announces at the beginning of his gospel. And John is this one with this quote talked of, in and that, in that brings forth these voices from long ago. Isaiah appears in this description of Mark. And it's interesting, the book of Malachi was moved for the Christian Old Testament that ends with specific prophecy towards Mark, the one who will prepare the way for the Lord. Is That that this is, and, and in Christianity, that's quite a sharp thing. Um, that, that John, Mark uh, skips, that what's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Lord? John, Jesus cast into the wilderness. Um, what's the beginning for most American Christians Jesus born in a manger. Mark, one of the reasons I love Mark, has no time for that. He wants to get into the action of what is going on. And so if you look at the Gospels, Matthew has some of the birth narrative. Um, Luke has the most of it, and then John has this cosmic story of the word becoming flesh that doesn't um, it adds a, a fourth dimension to the manger scene that I think is, is beautiful as well. But oftentimes, as Christians in North America, we think that the story of Christmas, uh, Luke 2, is is the beginning of the story. And almost every Gospel writer agrees that John's important part in it. That John is the herald of this new age before Jesus comes. That John is the one who prepares the way. And unlike in other Gospels, where John gives me harsh words to share with you today, uh, Mark cuts a lot of that out. He, he doesn't really say much at all in this scene. But he says that after him, one comes more powerful than he is, whose straps, whose sandals I am worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with water in the Holy Spirit. That John calls out a preaching of a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins, and yet something grander is coming. Calling us to await for that day that Jesus comes. Sorry. Trying to see where we go next. Um, John is preparing the people to receive Jesus. And John prepares them from the wilderness. This brings us to Isaiah 40, the reading that. Um, uh, Francis reference, um, comfort, comfort my people, says Lord Isaiah 1 through 39 have pretty much been all about exile and judgment. What happens at Isaiah 40 is that it turns, that God is going to comfort his people. Despite what we've done in our class for um, pleasure or for power, Um, for Hitler or Hugh Hefner, that God, in some sense, is not abandoning his people, but comes and returns to comfort them. And he hears the voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord, making straight a desert highway for our God. You're like me you hear John the Baptist in that. But what also I missed often is that this is a story of the Exodus again as well. The people know of the desert highway in which God has acted before. God has brought them out of of slavery before, and now God will bring them out of exile. I don't think it's much to say that Christian existence today, exile isn't the worst metaphor. we await in this world that is at odds with God, in which rightness and peace and justice have not kissed, in which these things have not been made manifest, as those who are waiting to hear this word again, that God would make a way in the wilderness and prepare a way out for us. And a voice says, Cry out, and I say, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. That we, in our fleetingness, await a word that endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, those up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout and say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. God comes and he tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So this God comes and restores these people is we exist in our own exile in this preparation. That, that image of a cell is meant to not be positive. Uh, I think it really that. But it's hard for us to remember that we exist in a world that is in birth pains, is what the Apostle Paul will say. That it is in groaning, awaiting this fulfillment in this time. And that we exist in this time of disorder. And so we have these images from the psalm Peter, from Isaiah, and from Mark, they're attempting to bring to mind how God is going to come to this place. That how manual God with us will reign and restore the earth. One of the ways in which, which the, the images I want to end with uh, sort of function around this idea of order. Now, um, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I bullet journal, um, and it's like, I had a friend once tell me that I love Jesus and I love CrossFit, and my response to him was, how's syncretism going? Um, Because they both function like religions in the world today. Uh, They have their own languages and codes. And so bullet journalists are as annoying as that. Um, And yet here I am. Um, So let me share with you the joys of bullet journaling. Afterwards, you can stop by a booth and buy. No. This image, I think, captures what it means that one is going to come and bring order to the world. I think the way that most of us confront the world is that we see it as this pile of material. And on the other side of that, the bottom of this image, um, I should have turned it sideways so it's bigger, the eye, is the thing that discerns the material and makes itself. We are autonomous choosers who get to create our own lives. And so from the material, we take it and we put it into some sort of order, things I like and things I don't like. And then from that material, and in a lot of this, we trust our feelings and our perception. I think an eye is a good image at the bottom of this. Um, And from there, we group it into identifiable things. And from there, we make our key. Uh, The last one looks like a face, I think, for a reason. Here am I, before my eye, that has seen and discerned what is good. Well, this is a not a bad metaphor for bullet journaling. What Christianity and what this thing that the psalmist proclaims for us, and that love and faithfulness meet together, rightness and peace kiss each other, faithfulness springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven, or what Peter is proclaiming for us in awaiting and hastening that day, we as Christians actually find ourselves in the inverse of this: that God is the one who has ordered creation that the image of the face is the one of Jesus Christ who comes to us and guides us in this place. We become his disciples. We, in the end, are made up of individuals. We place the church in here as well. This was made for bulletin, so it's not a perfect one for us. But what on the other side of that is the dissolution of ourselves. What in the modern world we think is good? There's all this material for me to make my own life is actually, from a Christian perspective, the falling apart of the dissolving all things. The notion that we get to choose and make our own lives and past and future as if there is no other order of or creation or justice the righteousness of peace is part of what leads us on the path of destruction. And so what these readings call for us is one who is going to order this place again. And as Christians, Peter says that we are to live spotless, blameless, and be at peace with him. It's us to hear from these scriptures, from theology, from the witness of others, like St. Nick, who have gone before us, to order our world and lives in the way that on that day, on that day when we greet God, we are prepared that we have put on a baptism of of, um, repentance, and in the Greek word that John uses, metanoia, repentance, is one of my favorite words for why our church is named defiance. Because the, the Greek word means to, to make a U-turn, to turn around, to not keep going the way that you're going. And so in a world that says this is the structure of life, make your choices. I mean, you could almost imagine this as, a, um, as an image for choosing the best college life in a college Like You're a freshman in college. Here's a way to make yourself happy. And in fact, what we actually see in this is perhaps, no, you need to slot into something else. And so what we say is then you, you take a U-turn from the way in which everybody's telling you to go, and you turn and you face the other direction. The defiance in that way is an act of being a Christian. You can seek power. You can seek pleasure. You can decorate your cell. You can... Prepare for a party in which the guest only tears down. Or you can bring yourself to God. You can bring yourself and learn from the word which he has set about so that on that day we are those who are welcomed into the community through hastening that day. If you're like me, you know that there's a whole mess that will also get cleaned up on that day as well. And here uh, is the key, I think, on that point before we move on, is, is it's, it's keeping admitting that it's a mess that might be the most important part today. People will come alongside of you and say, it's not a mess. Get a divorce. That will solve it. It's not a mess. Um, get a different job. It's not a mess. Put your kids someplace far away from you. um, Medicate them. It's not a mess. Do this. And what I think at least we can do in grace is keep admitting it's a mess. You might need to get a new job. You might fall for the world's temptations. But at least for me, the hypocrisy is kind of my hypocrisy is kind of the truth of the matter. I know that there is something beyond this. I live in the world where I make my own order of the material that's in front of me, and I do it imperfectly all the time. But I can still admit that it's a mess. And this, I think, will allow us to have grace for each other in this. Grace for ourselves and grace for each other, because it keeps legalism at bay. If you think you've ordered it perfectly yourself so much on that day, that there will be no burning away, that there will be no shaking. I got some other churches. (laughs) But if you can hold that tension together, imperfectly we order ourselves. And so that on that day, God will reconfigure all of that. Then we can exist in hope. So today the readings claim for us that we are to prepare for this coming. John Says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. As a people, we seek to walk in those straight paths in the preparation of the coming of the King. We anticipate his first coming, in danger. We pray and hope of Lord Jesus, that day when all things shall be renewed. That love and faithfulness meet together in righteousness and peace. Kiss each other. Let us pray. God, you have called us your people, so much so that you will not quit us. As In the book of Isaiah, we devise our own devices and futility that leads us into exile. You still come and you comfort your people. Your aim is to put them back together. So to God, we also heard from John the Baptist in the Gospel of Mark. We put on a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, awaiting and hastening that day that 2 Peter spoke of. While we are looking for this, we make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We live in the foretaste of that love and faithfulness meeting together, of that righteousness and peace kissing each other. We stand with John. After this, one more powerful will come. One who straps with their sandals we are unworthy to stoop down and untie. We have received your baptism in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We await the return of that one who comes in power to set the world to rest. In the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.